You're listening to the Self Mastery Podcast, where we break through barriers holding you back from becoming who you want to be. Whether you're struggling with pornography, overeating, social media addiction, or just want to get better at succeeding at life, this podcast is for you. Now your host, Zach Spafford. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another beautiful Mastery Monday. I'm your host, Zach Spafford, and this week I wanted to talk about accountability. And I wanted to say something like, enjoy accountability, or accountability is amazing. And I think I wanted to do that because I thought, man, this would be amazing if we could just everybody think that being accountable for everything was awesome. And the truth is, you're probably listening to me right now going, yeah, I don't really want to be accountable for everything. Okay. I'm with you. I get it. But I'm going to show you why choosing to be accountable is much better than choosing not to be accountable. And then you can decide whether or not you want to be accountable all by yourself. So the more accountability we take for our own experience here, what, you know, what happens to us, what we create, what we see as external or internal struggles, the more choices we get to have. This is really about ownership, and really, when I talk about ownership, I talk about ownership from a place of it creating power and choice. People who own cars, they have the power to do what they want with it, and the choices are theirs as to where they want to go, right? So this is not about what you're not, right? This is not supposed to come from a negative place. This uh, is not that you're not strong enough, and not that you're not smart enough, and not that you're not disciplined enough. That's all blame and that's all fault finding and none of that is helpful because it's all for the most part shame based. Being accountable is choosing to accept what is and understanding why it's there and how it's there and how you can leverage that to become the person that you want to be. So here's the real difficulty. Sometimes we judge ourselves for the things that we are taking accountability for. Then we look to see how we can deflect that judgment and then we beat ourselves up and then that often leads to deflecting, which doesn't feel good. And this goes wrong in the way that, you know, people and humans, we don't like to be blamed for stuff. We don't like to be at fault for stuff. And that leads us to explaining away the results of our life with, you know, phrases like she didn't meet my needs and this just showed up on my screen and there was a link in my feed or that food wasn't supposed to be in the pantry. And you try to deflect that judgment that you have, you know, on yourself and for the things that are occurring in your life and you're saying, this isn't mine. And in the process of deflecting that judgment, you relinquish your accountability. Here's one of the secrets that I want you to take away from this. You can be accountable without judging. There are two words that you can eliminate from your vocabulary to help you do this. Should and shouldn't. You're a human. You're going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Saying I should have done this or I shouldn't have done that is really irrelevant. It doesn't serve any valuable purpose, right? Like I should be more. I shouldn't be so bad. I shouldn't have slipped up. Taking should and shouldn't out of your vocabulary altogether will help this process of taking accountability without judgment. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. No one is. Take accountability without taking blame. So let's talk about the areas where we can take accountability. There are three basic important areas where you can be accountable for everything that goes on. 
Some call it the cognitive triangle. Brooke Castillo calls it the model. Most of us know of it as things that we have control over in our lives. Thoughts, feelings, and actions. Elder Uchtdorf had a great Instagram post where he was, you know, writing on a sheet of paper. Just a quick reminder, it seems like, to me anyway. And he, he wrote, I have control over my thoughts, feelings, and actions. So, three questions. Why not always take accountability for these three things? How do I take accountability for these three things? And why will that give me greater self-mastery? And I'm not going to answer those directly. I'm going to leave you to answer those as we go through these. And I want you to kind of think of those as we go through these so that you decide, okay, do I really want to take accountability for my life in these three areas? So let's really quick, let's Let's just jump into this. Let's define actions. Every single one of my clients that comes to me basically has one of two problems. I'm doing something, but I can't stop it, or I want to start doing something, but I can't, right? Like, I'm using pornography, and I can't stop. I want to stop overeating. I want to get more things done. I want to stop sleeping in so I can get my exercise in. This is all stuff we do or don't do, right? The question that I always ask when someone comes to me with something like this is, why? Why can't you stop doing this? Or why can't you start doing that? And here's what they usually tell me. I don't know. Or I'm an addict. Or I'm addicted. Or I'm lazy or undisciplined. A client once told me this after telling me all of the amazing things that he had accomplished. Or, for instance, I'm just not a morning person. Here's the problem with each of these responses to the question, why can't you start doing this or why can't you stop doing that? They are all completely disempowering. They sound like we're aware of what's going on in our lives. You know, like the phrase, I'm an addict, for example. Except that tells you nothing about why you aren't stopping. All it says to our brains is that you're broken. There isn't any accountability in these phrases either, which makes us so powerless to change the actions we're describing. Either the person is denying accountability or they're shaming themselves for their choices. So let me go back to these two questions. Why can't you stop or why can't you start? The answer is always because of how you feel every single time. What I'm doing when I ask my clients these questions is checking to see if they're aware of the emotions that they're feeling when they're doing things they don't want to do or not doing things they want to do. And most of the time, this may surprise you, especially when you think about the men in your life, they have no idea what their feelings are. And as a coach, I help people identify these emotions. Why do we use pornography? Because we feel sad or lonely or we feel an urge. Why do we overeat? Because we are feeling nervous or bored. Why do we play games on our phones instead of you know, getting our project list done? It's because we feel anxious or overwhelmed. This is something that I learned in sales a long time ago. Emotions create action. So if I wanted someone to buy as a salesperson, I had to find the emotion that would move them to action. And every action that we take is preceded by an emotion. Sometimes big, sometimes small, but always an emotion. Identifying that emotion and understanding what we're feeling before we take action unlocks a window into the why that is driving us. And doing it without judging ourselves is essential to keeping that window open. A lot of us judge our urges or our feelings and we say we shouldn't feel lonely or we shouldn't be feeling this urge to look at pornography or we shouldn't be overwhelmed or I should be more committed or I should be past this. 
Doing that just closes us back up and makes understanding and then changing impossible. And this really requires compassion for ourselves. And it also requires what I like to call the wildlife narrator observation of our own brains. Uh, if you're familiar with a guy named David Attenborough, if you're not familiar with him, he narrates wildlife films for the BBC. And one of my favorite films is this iguana that escapes a whole bunch of snakes. And to listen to David Attenborough tell the story, you would think basically nothing had happened. But if you've ever seen this iguana escape snakes, and I'm going to link to it in the in the show notes, it is extraordinary and so exciting. But at the end of the narration, at the end of the little film, all David Attenborough says is a near miraculous escape. What he's doing there is just being an observer of what's happening without putting any emotion into it. And that's what you have to do when you go and you watch your brain and you look at what's going on in your head because doing that is going to keep you from judging yourself. So you want to be that, well, let's just call it chill about what's happening and that lets you figure it out rather than spending energy on what isn't or should or shouldn't be. From that place, you'll patiently and kindly see how you're getting where you are. That'll give you an immense amount of leverage when you are ready to completely change your behavior. But knowing that no one is making you eat that chocolate cake and no one is pushing you toward pornography use and no one is keeping you from doing your list of projects and that it's your own emotions that are driving these actions is essential to breaking free from them. And also understanding and recognizing that you're doing all kinds of useful action in your life. And the nice thing is that you get to be accountable for that too. I was discussing pornography use with one of my clients who felt like he was just engulfed in it all the time. This was a successful man with a busy home life. And so we broke it down and I asked him, how many hours a week do you use? And he said, on a bad week, about three hours. So I did the math. There are 168 hours in a week. So what percentage of the time do you think that he was actually doing things that weren't pornography use? 98.21% of the time. Now, that said, if you're using th pornography 3% of the week, you would still be doing great things 97% of the time. Taking accountability for the good things you're doing because they are more than likely outweighing the things that you aren't doing is an important component of this. Look at the things that you're doing, church callings, work accomplishments, things that you are getting done. You're probably pretty amazing. So pay attention to that and remember that the things that you're not achieving don't define you. Since our feelings create our actions, let's go ahead and take a look at those as well. It's really common in our society to say things like, my boss really upset me today, or my wife made me feel so alone, or my kids are so frustrating. All those sound like they could be true. But what I want you to see here is that they are all pointing to an external source of emotion. When my clients come to me and they talk about their frustration, they often point to people or situations in their lives that they believe are creating those feelings. My next question is always, why do you feel that way? So often they say, well, I don't know. Our brains really don't like accountability and dialing into that source of our feelings takes a lot of work. And when we take accountability, it's really easy to beat yourself up for it. But if we can own our feelings and take accountability for them, we will have so many more choices as to how we can choose to feel. So what is the reason why we feel the way we do? It is the way that we're thinking. That's the answer. The way you think about what's going on in the world around you creates the way we feel about it. 
The way you feel about your boss or your kids or your wife all come from what you think about them and what they say. So when your wife says to you, I wish we never got married, or I never would have married you if I had known you had this problem, those words don't affect us. What affects us is our thought. Maybe the thought is, I've messed everything up, or she doesn't love me, or even, I wish we never got married, this is too hard. Those are the thoughts that create loneliness. In fact, just tonight my wife was listening to her playlist and this song came on and I didn't like it, so I asked her to skip it. And She skipped it and the next song was Cher. And she was singing along and the song was, If I could turn back time. And then my wife added this line, I'd run away from you. And one of the kids said, Mom, that's not nice. And she said, Yeah, I wouldn't have married Poppy if I had known his family. And I could have thought... She doesn't love me, or I'm not good enough, or I wish she felt differently. Partly because I know that this is really how my wife feels about my family, and hopefully they're not listening to this. But my thought is, my wife's love for me is separate from her feelings about my family. And instead of feeling that my wife should behave differently or talk about my family differently, that's what I choose to think. Because her words about how she feels don't make me feel sad or lonely or upset. My thoughts about her words create my feelings. And if I delegate accountability for my feelings in this situation to my wife, then I have to try and control what she says. Which, if you've ever been married to a woman, is pretty unlikely to work. Or I can recognize that taking accountability for how I feel and choosing my thoughts accordingly, I can show up as the husband that I want to be. When we genuinely decide to believe I'm accountable for all of my feelings and view those with compassion and patience for ourselves, we find that we can actually open up this ability to feel anything that we want to feel anytime that we want to feel it. And along with that, you have to remember this extraordinarily important thing. You can't make other people feel differently than they do, and their feelings are not your responsibility. And that's not to say that we can't be compassionate for others. But it just means that trying to act in certain ways or say certain things to try and get others to feel a certain way, that's not going to benefit you or them in the long term. Owning your own emotions doesn't mean that you ignore other people's feelings out of hand, but it does mean that you can't manage other people's emotions. Let them own their own emotions and you can approach that with kindness and compassion. Here's an example of that. In our marriage, when I was deep in the addiction cycle and dealing with all my emotions and the emotions that came along with that from my wife, I often did what my wife wanted because I wanted to minimize the negative feelings in our relationship. So if I wanted to go to a movie or go out shooting or something like that, which are two activities that she doesn't enjoy, I would ask. And then if she said no, I wouldn't go because I didn't want to make her mad. But at some point, I decided I'm going to choose to do things that I want to do, even if she might get upset. Now, I always considered her feeling. And if I said, I'm going to go out shooting, and she offered a reason that going might impact her day, I would consider it. And then sometimes I would choose to go, or I might choose to stay. But I stopped making decisions based on whether or not she might be upset. And I made them based on how I felt about it. Now, that seems like a small thing, but actually it brought us closer together. 
because I'm no longer trying to manipulate how she feels and I'm not resenting how I feel because I'm trying to make her feel good all the time. When we try to manipulate the feelings of others, we often end up resentful and frustrated. It's a process of understanding and consideration for yourself and others, recognizing that you can't control their feelings. Let's take a look at the final piece of the puzzle, those thoughts that are creating the feelings. In my coaching practice, this is one of the things that I talk about the most. My clients often come to me saying, I know this is just a thought. But what's often interesting about what they're thinking is that they know that the thought is optional and that they could change it to a different thought that might serve them better, but they believe the thought so much and they think that it's so true that they can't imagine a different thought taking its place. I talked about this a little bit last week when we talked about the person being addicted. My client believed that he was an addict and that thought was so powerful, it was powerful enough that it was difficult for him to believe that maybe it wasn't even important to know whether he was an addict or not, let alone to believe that he might just be using pornography to avoid his feelings. Our thoughts are often so true to us that we can't see that believing them is holding us back from really feeling good and being happy. My wife recently has been using thought work to adjust her weight. And she said to me after losing two pounds that, that for the two years that she weighed as much as she weighs right now, that she couldn't think anything other than how fat she was. Now, after having been 12 pounds heavier for a year and then losing those 12 pounds and being back at that same weight, she told me she has more confidence that she feels great. The number didn't change. The number was the same. Her thoughts about that number are the only thing that changed. Recognizing that our thoughts are optional and something that you don't have to believe, even if there's a whole mountain of evidence for it, you get to just believe whatever you want. You can, you can just choose to believe that you aren't addicted to pornography. You can just choose to believe that you're going to get everything done you want this week. You can just choose to believe that you are never going to look at pornography again. You can choose to believe that you're doing it the way you're supposed to. You can choose to believe that you're going to accomplish your goals and it's going to be amazing. You can choose to believe that the universe is conspiring in your favor and everything that is happening to you is for your benefit and that resisting that would be pushing back against the best life you could possibly live. Your thoughts are optional, which means that they can be the process whereby you choose your feelings and your actions and create the results that you want to create for the rest of your life. And isn't that pretty amazing? All right, folks, this has been an awesome Mastery Monday. I always, always enjoy doing these podcasts because I love sharing what I'm doing with my coaching practice and what my clients are learning. And in fact, one of the things that if you're missing your meeting this week or you just want to see what coaching is like, register for my free webinar. It's Wednesday at 8 central. We're going to talk about the tools and solutions to obliterate urges. You can go to my website. It's zackspafford.com slash free call and register there so that you can get on that Zoom call this week. It's going to be amazing. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. Hey, thanks for listening to the Self Mastery Podcast. Every day I get requests from people who are looking to change something in their life. 
If that is you, if you need help overcoming your addictive behavior like pornography use, sign up for a free mini session at zackspafford.com slash workwithme. That's zackspafford.com slash workwithme. I'll put a link in the show notes for you to follow. Also, it would mean the world to me if you were to leave a review for us wherever you get your podcast. It'll go a long way to helping others find us. Thanks again.